So thank you everyone online for continuing to join us during quarantine. I know the people here lean into your support and lean into knowing that you're here and that we're all supporting each other. This month we have been talking about vows. We did our session, had that theme, and many of our online offerings during the week have had that theme. And our Sunday talks have also been on that theme, and so the last day of January I'll continue. I'd also like to note that uh, we at the monastery dove into our three-month creative practice period starting at the beginning of January. There are countless ways to discover creativity as a formal presentation of art, which we're engaging in here for the next three months, ceramics, painting, sculpture, music. And as the simple yet infinitely creative expression of our life and our vows. Our vows often begin with big, broad strokes. Hogan and Chosen, for example, had a vow to found this monastery. And in forming that vow and seeing it through meant creatively working with the tools and skills they had available in each changing moment. They certainly couldn't have guessed, or I assume they couldn't have guessed 30 years ago, that they would be in a transformed elementary school in Klatskanai, Oregon, with this particular community of people online and present. It is an expression of the creativity of our lives. A vow might be wide and deep, transforming generations of beings, and how it actually looks in this physical plane in each particular moment is always changing and continuously creative. Hogan and Chosen had a vow to found a monastery without knowing where it would be or who would show up. These things were just the details. And we here in this Zendo and also everywhere you are online, I saw people signed in from China, entered into that vow and continue that vow as we sit here now. People show up here for an hour, a week, many years, perhaps lifetime, a whole lifetime, however long, each, each person joins the stream of the continuation of a vow that began long before Hogan and Chosen. This vow to start a monastery rests both on the shoulders of the countless ancestors devoted to spiritual practice and simultaneously on the shoulders of future generations who will carry the vow forward. I'm sure founding a monastery had its big dramatic moments like signing a lease for this elementary school, 
But more practically, in the lived moment-to-moment experience, it means mowing the lawn, washing the dishes, and keeping up with the electric bill. Aspirations can be mysterious and awe-inspiring and also very practical. That part of the story usually gets left out. In the Denkoroku by Keizan Zenji, an important ancestor in our tradition, um, the Denkoroku is a compilation of our ancestors' awakening stories. Each story told in a matter of pages, the day-to-day affairs of a life is assumed but left out. Priest so-and-so has a conversation with Zen master so-and-so, and suddenly his mind opens and he is awakened. It's good to remember that that awakening moment is a culmination of everything he's ever done. The floors swept, dishes washed, tears cried. It's all included in that moment. A question my teachers often pose and I've enjoyed engaging is how am I living my vow right now? As I lay in bed to fall asleep, or read the news, or fold laundry, this is a way of equalizing the flow of experience. I can hold an intention to keep the heart open and spacious during formal meditation practice, and equally so as I put away dishes and clean the kitchen. It's important, I think, to notice that most of the awakening stories in the Denkoroku are in the midst of conversation, in the midst of activity. This is also referred to as no gap. We imbue our life with clear intentions, vows, aspirations. I personally had never thought about the word vow until I first heard of great vow, so Perhaps that's not a word that fits in your vocabulary, so intention seems to be popular. We imbue our lives with clear intentions, and they become a part of the seamless enactment in the day-to-day caretaking of our lives. And that will look and feel different in each moment. In my personal experience, I've often imagined bowling with bumpers, which Onshin laughed at because he was like, why would you use the bumpers if you're going to bowl? But that's the only way I've ever done it, actually. <laughs> I make a vow, to, for example, to practice kindness in every moment. And inevitably, in the course of that vow, my efforts swing or bounce, sometimes violently, from bumper to bumper, from left to right. That's why it's called practice. Bouncing from rigidity to apathy, from frantic to dull, from desperately passionate to totally bored in the matter of minutes, days, years, a life. What if we totally accepted this process and actually took time to enjoy it? 
It seems inevitable, these movements of mind, so exploring some semblance of acceptance might help smooth the course. What's also been important for me to acknowledge is that the movements of our awareness do not function independently. It's easy to think as we go crashing along left bumper to right that we are doing so in a vacuum of our own thoughts and independent intentions. And this can be an important view as we step into taking responsibility for how we care for our life. And everything we do and everything everyone else does is co-arising together in communication and allowing a completely new and creative expression of life, of awareness to arise in each moment. And so it is true that the person who came to Great Vow for lunch 10 years ago knowingly or unknowingly took part in the co-arising vow to found and maintain a monastery. We are all constantly doing that, knowingly or unknowingly stepping in to support each other's vows. And the dance of polarities, from dull to frantic, tension to collapse, is a collective movement. This can be viewed on a historical scale, the rise and fall of political regimes, of empires and civilizations, and as an exploration into our interpersonal relationships. We are organisms responding to environmental stimulus. In the midst of chaos, we strive for more order. When we are stuffed into overt rigidity, we might respond with playfulness. So it's a dance. Of course, we are not always moving towards an opposite. Here is in, herein lies the value in recognizing collective vows, universal and small. We inspire each other towards a greater good. I see how you care for the broom and the pavement as you sweep the front walk and your aspiration for kindness inspires me to do the same. Recognizing our own vows within collective vows can be a helpful way not to lose heart. If your vow is to be a good parent, Know that you are held in a stream of actually billions of beings, past, present, and future, human and animal, all doing their best with the tools they have available to make this vow come to life. And however it goes, each individual vow is held in the vast collective vow, built upon hundreds of generations of effort, and will continue on in the hearts of generations to come. The vow to found a monastery is held in a vast field of collective vows of spiritual practitioners across countless traditions, 
all interested in exploring the mind and the nature of reality. These particular outfits, the Zen rituals, happen to be the present-day physical manifestation of that wordless vow. Because as Kisei told us yesterday in class or two days ago, we do have meat bodies, and it can be helpful to be clear about what it is we would like to do with them. Vows are the creative expression of the human heart. I like to think of these heart vows manifesting as the various body parts of Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of compassion. These vows, the lungs, feet, hands, eyes, tears, making up the whole, breathing life into the bodhisattva. Each person's creative and expression, an important element of the one body moving together. During the January vow session, we met in small groups to talk about our intentions. Of course, each person is totally unique, each life completely new and fresh, so each vow different. I've noticed in the past that meetings like this can create a surge of doubt or a surge of feeling like I need to have the right vow in relation to those I'm sharing with. I was relieved to find, in this particular meeting at least, an upwilling of sympathetic joy and appreciation. That as we formulated vows, moving together as the body of Avalokiteshvara, our different vows complemented each other, intertwined, and somehow, although different, fed the same stream. <clears throat> I felt a deep sense of gratitude. Like, oh good, you're taking care of that realm. I'm gonna try to do this one and we'll come together and see how it's working out. We support each other. This group process reminded me of the essential work of continuously orienting the mind towards positive mental factors like sympathetic joy, faith, gratitude, etc. I think this is an essential element in the exploration of vow. These factors help us hold a wide open view with a mind stream ready for any possibility. <clears throat> A vow held within the chaos of negative mind, street, mind states might drown in a current of criticism and doubt. And we do the best we can with the tools we have available. I'm almost <laughs> done. Okay. Um, So what I felt inspired by during this session, um, more so re-inspired, I guess I could say, is the value of having people, being surrounded by people that have strong vows, who inspire 
you to live your best intentions. And that doesn't necessarily mean living in a monastery, but at least having a few people that really push you towards compassionate action, towards being the best person that you can be. However that manifests, and it's clearly different for every person, I keep learning that. At the end of this talk, we'll close with the four great bodhisattva vows, something the monastery has been chanting almost nightly for 20 years, and I've been chanting almost nightly since I moved here six and a half years ago, something like that. I looked at Anshin because usually you know. <laughs> Thank you. I've been affirmed. Um, and what's so beautiful about them is that I continue to be inspired and I continue to hold them with great awe. These vows that are completely beyond, I think, an individual's capacity, these vows that um, are bigger than anything we could imagine and so clearly will carry on from generation to generation because there is no end to them and how beautiful it is to have aspirations that are bigger than our imagination. So thank you for coming. <laughs> I will close with the four great bodhisattva vows. <laughs> <laughs> If you're online and have a question for Milieu, you can put it in the chat, either in Zoom or on YouTube, and that'll be transmitted into the Zendo. Thank you for your talk. I like the bowling metaphor and the, the bumper metaphor, and I feel like it's tempting for me to see vow and practice as the bumpers that keep me from falling in the gutter. But um, thinking that vow is not so much about a certain result, <clears throat> so it's almost falling in the gutter can be part of the vow as long as I'm wholeheartedly aiming in the right direction. I wonder if you connect with that. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, so I like that. The bumpers are the vow. I <laughs> hadn't occurred to me. Um, and I didn't really have an, the metaphor didn't continue to the pins at the end. 
So it was like you just keep going, <laughs> just keep bumping back and forth. And maybe with practice, the bumps back and forth become a little less violent was the image that I had. But I don't know what the pins at the end would be if you wanted to f f fill out the whole story of the metaphor. Yeah, maybe if I'm aiming for those pins and not worrying about the gutters and the bumpers, then it just naturally tends to head straight down the middle, even if that's not my direct intention, if that makes any sense. Thank you. <laughs>
You know, there's just, we're not in control of cause and effect, of all of cause and effect. We're barely in control of our own heart, mind, bodies, and, and using a vow to channel that energy of our bodies, hearts, and, and minds towards good, we hope. And also we've learned here, I think, that you know, we've had many people who have trained here and left and then have and maybe even left uh, in a state of confusion or disappointment. And then five or ten years later, they write and say, this was an invaluable experience for me. It really shaped my life. So we, we can't depend on certain manifestations that my vow is going well. I mean, it's nice when they're there. It's very reassuring. And we always need the guidance of the Sangha to help move us back if our vow is a little wonky or our means are a little wonky to carry out the vow. But we can't, we can't do, we can't have a vow and demand that the results agree with what we hoped we were going to see. So I also have, so what if the pins are infinite and they are delusion? So, Venerable Mio, I was very interested to hear you use the word sympathetic joy. What are some things that give you sympathetic joy? Um, well, I was thinking specifically in that moment of, and I hope Kosho doesn't mind, but Kosho made a vow um, in relationship to the climate crisis, and I felt um, just joyful in her passion and her devotion to a cause and um, honestly some relief in that. I can, um, in supporting her, I'm supporting that cause, but I may not step forward in the same way that she is going to step forward or has stepped forward. So that was a moment of really acknowledging sympathetic joy. Thank you. Would you be willing to share one of your vows? Could could you share one of your vows, please? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Um, well, it it is interesting when Chosen was talking about there's a primary vow and then um, there's those manifestations, and I feel like. There is a primary vow and then there's like kind of the things that in that moment feel like I really need to work on. So it's sometimes the vow is just to um, 
I think I've said this before, but just raise baseline level of kindness so that in any situation there is that baseline of kindness that is available at any moment. Um, vows to support the people living here and their vows, which become my vows sort of in that feeling of wanting to support them. Um, vows to not stop practicing. Thank you.